0: The Philippian, the town of Philippi, sits up in the head of the Aegean Bay. There is, between Greece and Italy, well actually I say between Turkey and Greece, I'm sorry, is it wraps around like this. In between there, there's over 5,000 islands, tiny little islands. We know them mostly as the Grecian islands. Ones like Mykonos, and most importantly, for instance, um Islands like uh, Patmos, which John covers Revelation, that's in the middle of there as well. But if you were to chase that around then and follow the landmass, up at the top, that is the area of Macedonia. Today, that area is called Macedonia, so that will be easy to remember. <clears throat> it is, um, the, there are three places of great note there in biblical days. Uh, there is that of uh, Philippi, and that of Thessalonica, yeah. and that of Berea. And we'll see all of that in essence in chapters 16 and 17 of the book of Acts. Named again after the, the king of Macedon, his uh, name is Philip. It was conquered in 168 BC. Uh, and for what it's worth, it was also the place where Julius Caesar's sons defeated the one who murdered Julius Caesar. Uh, they did it there. It was a very important place. And because it was the place of vengeance in essence where, in essence, military justice has been performed on the, the murderer, if you will, Marcus Bruce, Brutus Cassius Longinus. Uh, Longinus. He, as a result of that, they set up a, uh, well, what's called a garrison. But basically, it becomes a town of re- where you retire your Roman soldiers. And I'd like you to consider, then, what that looks like. The Reserve Legion 28 was there. Uh, under Octavian, it was given the status of a city and called then Colonia Victris Philippensium. Uh, several people, like for instance Octavian, will have his private guard there. You, you can see it. It's all right here in the sense of that. Uh, it was called, therefore, if you will, Little Roma. And it was called Little Roma because there was no place of greater national spirit other than Rome than this particular town. Well, why? Because you have a bunch of Roman soldiers. And there are different kinds of soldiers. There's obviously those that work, if you will, in secret service, protecting, if you will, the Caesar. Of course, that becomes something you look back and go, "Well, okay, they killed Julius Caesar. I guess we probably should get some guys around him. But also, uh, in its simplest sense, they're those who fight to defend Rome. And they're going to be your most faithful nationalists if they're really doing their job right. So you take a bunch of guys that are very proud to be Roman, and you put them all in the same place. And in essence, they're old soldiers. What do you think happens when you put a, make that a town? Well, what you have is a place of extreme national pride. So remember how in Philippi, I'm sorry, in Ephesus it was a port town, port town. So Paul uses that in regards to the Holy Spirit sealing us for the day of redemption. He takes that general, if you will, the pulse and relates it in regards to that. In the area of Philippi, it should it surprise us that it's here that Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. No greater book for Paul to say that in this one, because if there's one place you would be really proud to be a Roman, this would be the town to do it in. So, for what it's worth, um, there's a lot of this I can get into, but we really kind of don't need to develop things that are more of the historical, that don't necessarily pertain. Uh, but I will say this. <clears throat> you are convinced... That if you became a Roman citizen, I mean, basically, if you spent a day, and what historians would say was if you spent a day in Philippi, you would trade anything to become a citizen. Uh, Anywhere else, you might want to become a citizen because you have no rights. But in Philippi, you would want to become a citizen simply because you saw the benefits of it from their side, not just how horrible it was to not be in. Biblically, of course, we are introduced to Philippi in Acts 16. Paul is in Turkey, actually in the region of Galatia. And he is forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go due west or due east. I'm sorry, due west or due north. Due west would have been Ephesus, due north would be today's Istanbul. And we don't even read how, other than we can get a hint from it in Galatians, where Paul tells us he was actually very rather ill. So if he can't go due north and he can't go due west, he winds up going northwest, winds up on the coast of Turkey, north of Ephesus, in a town called Troas. A very uh, fundamental, fundamentally important place. Several times Paul was a visit, and of course that's the place where Eutychus, he, Paul does an all-nighter. Of course, any long-winded pastor like myself loves that story, because the guy falls down dead, and he can't even escape that. Paul lays on top of the guy, he's back in and he kind of gets back in there and he's like, so where was I? And he finishes at daybreak. Now, all of that to say, <clears throat> it has a lot of importance. But it's there that Paul gets a message from a that Maced- he gets a vision of a Macedonian man. We don't know who, and of course there's all kinds of speculation, but the Bible never actually tells us who the guy was. Whether Paul would actually go, oh, you're the Macedonian man I saw. We never see that. So we could, we could kind of play it out and say, well, there's this guy and there's this guy and there's this guy. But in the end of it all... Uh, it is it is really important to note that we really don't have that. There is something really important, though, that changes in the text when Paul's at Troas. So do this for a second, because we may just have the minute to do so. Let's go to the book of Acts. I want you to go to chapter 16. Listen to this. Verse 6, if you go with me. Are you there? Acts 16, 6. <clears throat> and I want us to read, and let's read in the round, if you will, from 6 to 11. I'll start then. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia.
1: After they had come to India. they tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them.
2: So, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troy.
3: And the bishop appeared to fall in the night. And the man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us.
4: Now, after he had seen the, vid- the vision... Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them.
3: No,
0: go, ahead, go ahead and read that verse as well.
5: Therefore, sailing from Troas, we, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis.
0: And then from there it tells us to Philippi, which is the foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony. That means it's a Roman, it's a place of retired Roman soldiers. And we were staying in that city for many for some days. Now, I better wait for. Probably sit
3: together.
0: Actually, I'm doing it for a room now.
3: Yeah, it actually is. <coughs> mm-hmm.
0: It is really cool. It's nice to see you, Rick. It's very subtle, and it's easy to miss. <clears throat> but Paul picks up a very important parcel, if you will, in Troas. And I'd be really impressed if you figured out what it was. Act 16... When he's in Shoes, he clearly gets a message. He gets a message from this vision of a Macedonian man that says, please come help us. How does he know he's Macedonian? The way that people dress in the Middle East and the way that people dress in Europe are very distinctly different. The colors that they use, as well as their manner of dress, is extremely different. So it would be very easy to identify him as a specific person from a region outside of the Middle East. But Macedonia specifically was known for specific darker colors, natural darker colors. I mean, it would have been, if you were in any way understanding, if you were an educated person, you would have known. No, for whatever it's worth. Or, God could have just made that clear. You ever have a dream where you see someone and they're a horse, but you're like, that's my grandma. You know what I mean? It's like, just somehow you recognize, not your grandma's a horse, but you get the idea. What is the thing that goes with Paul, or what goes with Paul and Silas and Timothy... From Troas. What's that? It is a person. Excellent. Well done, Marcia. It's exactly what it is. It tells us then that it was, when. notice it was like the whole idea was they had, when they had gone through, they were forbidden. After they had seen the vision immediately, and it tells us, come over and help us, but it says in verse 10, after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia. So somewhere in all of that, Paul picks up Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. That's really important to note. Now, Paul, again, putting Galatians together with Acts, however he was forbidden to actually preach the gospel uh, in Bithynia in Asia, again, that was our, we- our due north and south, our west, uh, clearly Galatians tells us he was very ill. Seems like a good idea to bring in a doctor. But by the time he gets to Troas, he gets one. And it is Luke. And by the way, I'll be honest. Understanding how a doctor works makes more sense here than it does back in the States. And the States, they're kind of rock stars. They have a specific kind of attitude and the kind of education and so forth. They are... I mean, you don't find a doctor that's under... You know, under 40 years old, and they kind of always have this sort of bedside manner, and it's like this, the perfect silver hair. They're either a pilot or a doctor. That's kind of the way you see it. And they come, they're going to pull over in the Mercedes, and there's a specific kind of stereotype for that. Here you don't see that. I've not seen anyone that I go, oh, well, that, that person's clearly. If I ran into anyone that I've seen as a doctor since I've been here on the street, I would never have gone, well, clearly that person's. Now, that doesn't mean they're any less, but it's a very different thing. And in those days, they were an educated slave. So they were hired, if you will, or taken on by a specific person. And they were, in essence, going where they went. So this makes perfect sense. Paul will then go, ultimately, again, to Philippi. When he goes to Philippi, ultimately, what he finds is there's no synagogue there. Which tells us there is no, I mean, it is a dangerous place to have a strong Jewish spirit, if you will. Because everyone's real proud about being Roman. Now, interesting, Paul and Silas, they are Roman citizens. We know that already about Paul. What we didn't know was that necessarily is that it was about that Silas was as well. And when so, what do you do when you can't find a church to start jumping into? They try to find another place. Ultimately, there's a couple. There's some women that are gathering at the uh, river to pray. And as they gather at the river to pray, Paul in essence joins them. Paul and Silas, and when that happens, he starts to share Jesus with them. And as he shares Jesus with them. There's a specific, specific gal that gets touched, her name is Lydia, and what we read is she's a seller of purple. Now, today, that doesn't sound like anything, but in those days, dye was not easy to come by, and there were certain things you could use. Pomegranates were easier to find, for instance. Certain leaves certainly were easy to use. There were berries that were used to dye things, but there was a certain color purple that was resilient. To be honest, it looked a lot more like a burgundy. Uh, but it was very hard to find, and it came from the shell of a specific mollusk, not even just like, you know, Hugo could eat them and leave the shells for someone to make, you know. In the end of it, it was a specific mollusk that grew only in a specific place, so it was a very unique thing. And so, obviously, because it was difficult to come by, it became a status symbol. So in other words, what she was selling, if you think about it then, is she was selling the stereotypical Prada outfit was the idea. She was known for being someone then that she would be in the, she'd be in the know with very well-known people. because No one could afford it other than a very small choice group of people. All of that to say, the Lord opened her heart and she's like, why don't you come stay with us? Now remember, they had no place to stay. It isn't like they came in there and looked for a Doubletree or a Hilton. They had no place to stay, and this gal... Now, it wasn't like this is a single gal living by herself and going, hey, you look cute, you have malaria, and people want to pluck out the rice and give them to you. Why don't you come stay at my place, baby? None of that's happening. She's a wealthy woman with servants. Paul refuses at first, but she insists, and they, if you will, to not insult her, actually do wind up in the first church in Philippi becomes a church of a bunch of women that were at the River to pray. So, the first people, and the funny part, again, I remind you, is there was a Macedonian man that got him there. And even though the Macedonian man got him there, it's basically a church of all women in Paul and Silas and Timothy. It's an interesting place to start. But, God never said that was a bad thing. The great thing is they went to the river to pray, and they went to seek God, if you will, and they found him there. Now, Paul continues his ministry. As Paul continues his ministry there, there is a demon-possessed girl. Who is following Paul and Silas around, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, declaring to you the way of salvation. What he's saying is true, but it's very subtle and easy to miss. But the focus isn't on Jesus. The focus is on them. And sooner or later, and I love the fact that it isn't like Paul at first hears this and he's like, Okay, that's enough. I don't want to hear it again. Days this goes on before Paul's like, Okay, fine. I'm I'm done with this. And he casts the demon out of the girl, but she's a slave girl. Like Luke would be as a doctor, this girl was. The difference was Luke served Paul as for Paul's infirmaries. This gal served her masters by fortune telling. She was making money doing that. Now, if something you have is a money maker, and the, you rip the batteries out of that thing, you've in essence destroyed your income. And that's the way that the master saw it. How horrible. If this poor girl was being tortured by hell. But they all they can see is their loss. As a result of that, they stir things up and have Paul and Silas arrested. Because it's damage to property, is what really what it is. Now, they're unaware that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. But I want to remind you, up now to this point, the church is a group of women that were praying in a river, including Lydia, which is nice to have at least one benefactor, if you will. And perhaps my guess, perhaps, the demon-possessed girl. I imagine if she could somehow get out of this situation she's in with her masters, if if it were me, I'd be showing up there. How about you? But Paul and Silas are in prison. Now, I don't know where Timothy is while this is happening. Remember, Timothy's about a teen at this time, and so it's fairly likely that Timothy's just, to be honest, is just being taken care of or not held liable because he's a minor. Nonetheless, I love... It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is what's happening in Acts 16. And the reason is because Paul and Silas do what none of us would do. Thrown in, they're not just thrown in prison. They're thrown in the inner prison. Prison shaped like a donut. And the middle is where you scoop all the poop. And that's the inner prison is the middle of that. Now, you're knee-deep in human waste. Most of it's not even your own. Who likes that? You're chained... But it says, Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God and praying. And it tells us this, and the prisoners were listening. Though you were in the most, hear me on this, though you were in the most awful spot, you were center stage for everyone. He put you in the middle of everyone. Now, as it's the case, God does something. He rocks this. it tells us that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Not just the doors open, but the foundations. What that means is that prison will never be able to be built up again. That prison's destroyed from the ground up. That's the way God does something. But the best part to me is not just that, but it's that once that happens, the jailer who had been sleeping, so whatever Paul must have had a lovely voice, saying this guy to sleep. But, the, but now at this point calls for a torch and decides he wants to kill himself because if you were to sleep if you were to lose one prisoner which clearly means he knows that prisoners could escape let's face it if the doors that were facing inward all opened they still couldn't escape but if God destroyed the walls and the foundation then they know all you have to do is turn and run out and yet in that this guy wakes up and he knows that if you lose one prisoner it's not only a life for a life Gives you aware of, the Romans always collected interest. So they would not only kill you, they'd torture to death your family, you know, the whole bit. And so he knows that, so he'd rather kill himself than to see his family tortured to death in front of him. So, he's trying to kill himself. He calls for a sword, he wants to kill himself, and Paul says, stop, stop. Which tells us Paul somehow is aware of this. He says, actually, everyone you're looking for is right here. And imagine that every prisoner ran to the poop where Paul was, rather than run away. Which tells me something. That they saw a freedom, a greater freedom in Paul and Silas than in anything that would be on the walls on the outside. And you're aware that if you're in prison, you're awaiting your execution. That, that it is at that point then that the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your whole household. Believe in the, whole, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. You and your whole household. But it isn't like if the guy got saved, his whole household would, because he preaches the gospel to them too. So what happens... This jailer takes Paul and Silas and brings them uh, to his house, and he cleanses their wounds—the wounds from being whipped. Now, it's one thing to be thrown in poo; it's another thing to be whipped and bleeding, and then thrown in poo. That's a really horrible place to be. But you know what that jailer provides for the first thing and the, the first person in the—let uh, me say it this way: Do you know what? But the jailer provides for that church. Um, and that is, he's the first man of the church that we have on record. Up to this point, it's been an entirely, I mean, other than Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He's the first guy that shows up, and he was the guy and more than likely beat him in the first place. Now, he's, you know, imagine, he's a new believer, and the gals that had believed were older believers than him. What a wild thought. That's a, it's a funny place to build a church and the guy's household. So now you have a family coming to the church as well. A bunch of women that were praying. And you have a guy that beat you up and was responsible for keeping you in prison. He and his whole family are showing up now as well. At which point then the, the leaders are like, well, you know, I think they've learned a lesson. And then they discover that Paul is a Roman citizen. Paul and Silas are and like, uh-oh, now we're really in trouble because that is completely against the law. To, to actually beat somebody and perform any form of punishment without due process. So they're very, very coy and careful when they come to Paul. And they're like, would you quietly please leave our city? Paul's like, hey, they beat us publicly, uncondemned Roman citizens. And you know, at that point, Paul, if he really wanted to, could actually formal formalize a complaint and every one of them would have been executed. And yet, Paul doesn't. Even though he had his right to legally, he knew better. So instead he's like, you know what I'd like? I'd like to be escorted out. And they escort him, but he stops at Lydia's house on his way. And now, I want you to consider this, because this becomes the foundation for our book. What we saw is we saw a guy preaching. So let's just put it this way. Anna, Deborah, Marcia have gone to the river to pray.
3: Down to the river to pray.
0: And as they went down there, Daniel shows up. He's like, what you guys doing? Now, do you think the only thing you were doing was praying at the river? Less likely, it doesn't tell us. But there was another thing that happened a lot at the river that women did. Do you know what that was? Laundry. Yeah, you wash your clothes. Matter of fact, there's a lot of places in the world that's still the case. Which is dangerous in some cases because of Jardy and other things. But, um, so, just the same. And they respond... And you're like, well, look at this guy. This guy, man, he loves the Lord, and how how totally cool is this? And then the guy gets beat up in front of you, whipped in front of you, and then thrown in prison. Now, what do you think that does to the early church then? Especially considering at this moment, and I'm forgive me saying this, like it's just women. It's just a church of women, and there is no man there. So you're like, what do we do? Maybe this is a women's ministry thing. Well, we better pray. Let's, you know, could you imagine thinking, oh, sure, they're probably God's just going to probably rip the top off of the of the jail and just let them go free and then they'll get a parade for it that would make no sense but it is what happens so when paula and silas are released they head back to to lydia's house and can you see him being like check it out it all worked out now didn't it and off he heads out of there but what's interesting is once he leaves philippi something else happens and that is notice by the way If we go to chapter 17, look at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. What has changed? Marcia. What's that? They
3: came. Excellent. It's
0: a they again. So guess who Paul leaves in Philippi? Luke. It's possible Luke was actually the first pastor of the Philippian church. Now, for the sake of time and clarity, let me just suggest that, prove me right or wrong, again, never just believe me, search the scriptures, but do you know when it's going to become we again? When Paul passes through Philippi again and scoops him up five to six years later. So it's fairly likely, one way or another, the guy was there for for five, six years until Paul's next trip. Now, for what it's worth, as he picks him up, now we're looking at roughly 10 years from the start of that church as Paul's writing this. Because Paul has now been arrested. He's arrested and he's in prison in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And as he's in the Memertine prison in Rome, you still have a very, very strongly feminine church in Philippi. Still very strongly. So, as a matter of fact, a lot of the names are feminine that he mentions. And they're freaking out. But here's the weird part, as, as you've read through it, I'm sure several times, because I know that you love to do this like me, what you discover is, Paul's not the only one getting work for his faith. The Philippian church is also getting beat up for their faith. So when Paul writes to them, To get the idea, paul the last time Paul was arrested, he was arrested, as far as they're aware, was in Philippi. And God released him, so that was really cool. Now Paul's waiting to be executed in Rome. It'll be the first of two arrests that he winds up there. The first one, he will obviously not be beheaded, because how do you have a second one? Uh, And so they're freaking out. They're totally freaking out, because there's a part of them that just loves Paul, and they don't want to see him go. And there's a part of them that now is suffering themselves and going, Am I next? So this is why Paul writes the letter he writes. Does that make sense? So what Paul then writes is it becomes the one letter that is the most sensitive and gentle and loving letter. It is the complete opposite of Galatians in that sense. Remember, Galatians was like, let them just go to hell and cut themselves off. And that's pretty serious. Here, he's like, look at rejoice with me, have joy. Rejoice, that becomes the fundamental aspect of this particular book. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, take a look at this with me. Uh, Philippians 1, making every mention in prayer with you for all, with all joy. Philippians 1.18, whether in pretense and truth Christ is preached and in this I rejoice, I will rejoice. Philippians 1.25, you know, and, and again, you know, it just it goes over and over with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different times, where he's like, "Take joy, you are my joy, rejoice." Now that's so opposite in some ways of some of the other letters, because for this letter, Paul, God, Paul, I should say God writing through Paul, but Paul knows this is what's really happening, Is this is a church of people who are really, they're really freaked out, and because they're really freaked out, he really wants to make sure that they have that peace there is another issue guess who's following paul around the circumcision so just to make matters worse there is a group running around and i will say this of the circumcision they're not just saying if you're a gentile you need to become a proselyte they're also kind of if you look at it they're prosperity doctrine people and one of the things they're saying is how can you follow paul look at what's happening to him And they'll say, well, the last time this happened, he was released. And like, well, he isn't getting released now. And you can see that being real conflict of faith. People who are real prosperity teaching, you know, where God just wants to give you whatever you ask, will always, sooner or later, have a conflict of faith. Because somewhere down the line, God's not going to give you what you ask. Because he wants to give you what's best for you. And we have a tendency not to ask what's best for us. So Paul addresses the issue. And he speaks about the issue of being like-minded. Stand fast and with one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Let the mind be, that says, you know, having one, uh, the same love, being one accord, one mind. Let us be of the same mind. And then there's two gals that clearly, by the way, do not seem to be getting along. Yudhya and Simtachi, who, by the way, is like, I implore you, I beg you, I insist. Get along. Now it's interesting because just about every church Paul is going to say that. Did you notice that? There's always some form of division within the church. But then there's one other thing. And that's because he knows they love him and they know that he's suffering. He's trying to put purpose to the suffering. And there's our whole point in it. What he'll say is this is actually turned out to benefit. So you need to know that. So the basic <clears throat> overview in regards to Philippians, because now we're going to read through it, is that there is this sense a tenderness for people who are really, really concerned because they see Paul in prison and they think he's going to die over it and they're really fearful of that. And Paul's like, I'm not. And what we're going to see is that's the case. Now, it's a very emotional letter in, in that sense. One of the other things I love about him is halfway through the book, he says, finally. You think that's just a new pastor thing? Paul's been saying it too. So are you ready to read through it with me? Yes, that was very well <laughs> I'll assume those blank stares mean yes and absolutely. Okay, now I'll stop us here and there just to make quick comments, but I want us to get the feel of it as well. Is so everybody there and ready? <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Stop, one quick statement. No epistle is written to unbelievers. Prove me wrong. All of the epistles are written to believers. That is important to know. So when we try to impose the ideas that are on here on unbelievers, we're not even doing what it was intended by the letter. Okay. Um,
6: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. That he who begun a good work in you will carry it on to complete completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, stop there.
0: It is important to note that the building of Philippi has been a major overtaking. And three different times, things like earthquakes had really radically interfered. And the only reason why... Philippi actually fully came to completion, but to be honest, was because of its corporate spirit and allegiance to Rome. Rome was not going to let its little Rome cave in and not get finished. And the common phrase is, if we've begun it, we will end it. Paul pulls from that mindset and says, you need to recognize, he who began the good work in you will complete it. Know that verse, because I guarantee you that verse is going to come up again hint, nudge, wink, when you ask, what book did this come from? Okay, know And we'll just try to do a verse apiece. And we'll keep going around.
1: Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have given my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my defense, your and confirmation of the gospel, you are all for the of For God is my witness,
2: how greatly I long for you all with affection of Jesus Christ.
3: In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all
5: discernment.
4: That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence to the day of Christ.
5: Being filled with the fruits of, of righteousness which which are by Christ, by Jesus Christ, to so the glory and praise of God.
0: Did you notice the tenderness? Look at verse eight. How greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, that your love would abound still even more and more. Note these two things. When Paul thanks when Paul thanks God for a church, he tends to notice two things. Their faith and their love. Their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. That leads him to be confident that this is a healthy church. For what it's worth. Verse 12. Now let's get to that point of suffering. and that, Remember, the whole idea of it, if you will, is there's a purpose in pain. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which actually happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel.
6: As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole powers of God and to everyone else that I am in shame
1: for Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, um, much more to speak the
0: word without fear? Stop. Did you notice? He goes, These are the purposes already for my suffering. In my suffering, first of all, what's become clear is that I have a greater audience to preach Jesus. According to verse 13, who is the greater audience now? The palace guard. Excellent. Don't miss that because that'll come up later. Paul's like, How in the world would I get to, pal- get to preach Jesus with the palace guard? Well, this has done it. Now, it's important to note, by the way, when Paul was arrested, he would be chained to a Roman guard. More than likely, he would be chained to two of them. You know what that means? Paul has a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. They're chained to him. So he's like, let me tell you about Jesus. does isn't like the guy can go anywhere. And you know what the best part is? Four hours later, he gets a whole new audience. Two more guys get chained to him. Every four hours, the guard changes. He's like, I'm so glad you're here. Well, let's talk. We've got four hours. I think I can get my testimony in in those four hours. You know, how fun is that? Okay. But he also says, let me tell you another benefit. Not only has my, because of this pain, this suffering, or if you will, this persecution, not only has it widened my audience, but it has also emboldened, emboldened my brothers. Other people are like, man, if he can do it, I can do it. Notice what it says. Most of the brethren, now not all of them, sadly enough, but most of them, have become more confident by my chains. So Paul looks at and he goes, I know what you're thinking. I'm beat up, and the last time I was, you know, I was whipped and then thrown in poo. Nothing's good about that. But I want you to know, this is actually a good thing, girls. This is a good thing. It's a good thing because, man, I'm getting the gospel out to more people and other brothers that can be becoming more bold as a result of it. No, verse 15.
2: Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from a good way.
3: The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my
5: chains.
4: But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then?
5: Are you that in every way, whether in pretentious, in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and we rejoice.
0: So someone's preaching the gospel, I mean genuinely preaching the gospel, and someone else wants to go after their motives. Can you believe what that guy's doing with it? He's buying Bentleys. Can you believe what that guy's doing with it? He's building a TV empire, or whatever. Interestingly, imagine that some people are preaching the gospel to compete with Paul. To try to actually make his life miserable because you know i mean is not the craziest thing when our church kind of started taking off in the states there was a church that was kind of well known that had gone through some some scandals before we got there and so they were kind of starting all over again and they got to this point where they were again kind of building things up and i was so happy i was like Praise the Lord, that's two places preaching the gospel. And And they just remember because we would have a softball team. And the guys showed up and they're like, we're a softball team. And the whole reason we exist is to beat you guys. I thought, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, we're be the two Christian teams on this entire league. Shouldn't we actually be working together? And and again, the whole point of it is, is that I'm I'm just glad you guys are here. You preach the gospel. We used to take Gatorade. Do you know what that is? That's kind of like power here. Um, We'd take a uh, cooler, and we'd fill it full of them, and then we'd take it to the other team halfway through the game. And with them, each one of them had a track wrapped around the thing, and they're like, "Oh, this is probably full of like diuretics and stuff." And I'm like, "No, actually, it's just full of Gatorade." And after a while, people are like, "Oh, we're playing you guys! Awesome! You know, it means I have a cool thing." We watch people come to know the Lord through that. That's the exciting thing. And this is what Paul says: is if they're really going to preach the gospel, the rest of it's less important to me. Now, that doesn't mean personally he wouldn't take it seriously. But he goes, to be honest, there's just not enough people preaching the gospel. Now, please hear me in this. Do you think Paul would have a problem with a guy standing on a street corner and preaching the gospel? No. Do you think Paul would have a problem with somebody handing out tracts? Do you think Paul would have a problem with somebody trying to do an alpha thing where it leads to the gospel? Again? I mean, and again, giving the benefit of the doubt that it goes to the gospel. The point of it is this. It is amazing who criticizes that. Because you know who criticizes that more than, than anyone? People who call themselves Christians. It's like, you're blowing my cover. I'm trying to make Christianity cool, and here you are on the street corner. I'm like, you know, look it. We should never criticize someone who's doing something, especially that we're not. And what Paul would say is, praise the Lord someone's preaching the gospel. If they want to dress in a monkey suit or a Chewbacca suit and somehow in know that people are going to get saved, bring it on. So Daniel, it's a good idea. <laughs> you know? You know, if you, you know, if you want to kind of do it, you know, join kind of a, a, you know, one of those like contemporary dance troops and somehow in it do it through like kind of shaking and, and looking convulsive. But in the end of it all, you're going to preach the gospel. Go for it, Hugo. I mean, what, the whole point of it is, is that it's like if you're preaching the gospel, Paul's a thankful. And again, notice it's like there's these gals are coming to him. And again, it seems, again, I'm still predominantly like this. And it's like and they're going. You know, I'm freaked out because you're in prison and my heart hurts over that. And I'm freaked out because these people are, you know, trying to actually spite you by preaching the gospel. And Paul's like, hey, this stuff's actually good stuff. You know, they, you, okay, so they preach gospel because they're, they're selfish or because they're jealous. Paul's like, <laughs> you know, the enemy's trying to use this thing and people are getting saved. How oh, dumb is he? All right, anyways, there's the idea. Who, where are we?
5: Who's?
0: Oh, it's my turn. Thank you. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ.
6: I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death.
1: For to me, to live is Christ
2: and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labour. Yet what I shall choose, I
3: cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better.
4: Nevertheless, to Hmm. remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident in
5: this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith.
0: That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Stop. There's a statement that becomes the crux of the entire book. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if I'm going to live, that's a win. What that means is I'm going to share Jesus more. I'm going to serve you guys. If I die... Well, that's a win. I get to be with Jesus. So the whole idea of it is, again, I know you guys love me and I know you guys care. So thank you for being concerned. And thank you for being worried, if you will. But Paul's like, no matter how this turns out, I'm going to win. He goes, you know, but I kind of feel like, to be honest, I really kind of feel like I'm going to wind up staying. I don't feel like the Lord's going to take me home right now. I mean, all that means is I'm gonna—I I don't want to be like, "Dang it, so close to heaven, they stoned me and left me for dead, and I didn't die." You know, I mean, the whole point of it is Paul's like, "Look at, I'm gonna make the best of both, whatever it is." But here's the statement: to live, if I'm gonna live, it's gonna be Christ. If I'm gonna die, it's gonna be gain. And let me just say this: you'll never be able to say the second part honestly if you can't say the first if you can't live as Christ, if you can't say Jesus is my life, then whatever else it is that you have that is your life, well, when you die, you'll have to leave it. So how do you gain? The only thing, which means that if, to, if we don't live as Christ, say to live as Christ, I mean, we can't genuinely say that. We're like the rest of the world. Nobody else in the world can say to die is gain like that. But it's like my life here, it's Jesus. And when I die, I get to be with them face to face. I'm all winning on this. So stop worrying. And you know what the opposite of worrying is here, according to Paul? Rejoicing. And you'll find out that the whole book is really, like, in the simple sense, I know you guys are worried about me. Thank you. He doesn't, by the way, rebuke them for that. He sees as a tender caring. But he's going to let them know, please stop worrying. There's no need to worry. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm not worried. Okay. Last few verses of chapter 1. Who has 27? Uh, oh, that's you. Yeah. Okay.
6: Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the Gospel,
1: and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you
2: it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him,
3: but, to, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in thee.
0: Okay, What did the last couple of verses tell us about the recipients of the letter? They're afraid. Why? Yeah, well, it tells us here, they're actually being, they're suffering too. Did you notice that? It says having the same conflict, what you saw in me, and now here is in me, but it's been granted. Now, do you know what granted means? Yeah, it's an educated gift. A king grants something because he believes, first of all, hear me on this, a grant is always a valuable thing given, first of all. I mean, when we hear a grant, what does that normally mean to us? What is the most common application for a grant? What does that mean? you got money. Somebody had money, and they gave it to you. Why? Yeah, they think you'll do something good with it. Please hear me on this because it's going to be please it's going to be hard to hear this. Suffering is a gift when God grants it. And what he says is God looked at you and I know you don't see the honor in this yet. But he was convinced that this valuable thing if he gave it to you you would do something good with it. And that valuable thing was suffering. It has been granted On behalf of Christ, not only just to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake. It's like, do you realize? Do you remember in the book of Acts when Peter and John were beat up, the apostles were beat up because they were preaching Jesus? And it says they left there praising God that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace or shame for His name. Could you imagine somebody made fun of you for being a Christian? And you were like, oh man, thank you, Lord. Because you clearly granted me something that you thought I'd do well with. I'd spend it wisely. And if we had that mindset, I think we'd stop being so freaked out about sharing. Well, if we were dumb about it, we'd probably just try to pick a fight, just be like, oh, see, look, at that, I to be for Jesus. But obviously that's not the point. But when we are bold, when somebody kind of disses us for it, we'd say, wow, Lord, you have you have saw it. You believed, you knew that I would that this would actually be something I would handle well. Well, let's face it. This was the same guy that was beat up and singing songs of praise and praying in the prison in Philippi in the first place. That's his relationship with the Philippians as well. Already, mm-hmm. we'll go through two like this. We'll take a break and we'll do the other three. You know, actually, let's do this. Let's take the break here. We'll do the next three chapters together because we've already done the introduction in one, so we have three chapters to go. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I want to pray, but I want to pray this very simple thing, and that is that we could actually embrace the concept to live as Christ and the die as game. Okay, chapter one. Again, I remind you: the whole point was thank you, if you will, for being worried. However, it's all good. My imprisonment, thats there's benefit in that. Look at the bright side. My audience is, is widened, and people are encouraged to be bolder. That's win-win. Okay, guess what? I might die here. That's a win. If I live, that's a win. Look on the bright side. No matter how this plays out, I'm going to win. So you guys do the same. Keep that heart. Now look, at, I know you guys are suffering too. But I want you to realize that's something God granted you. There are people that are like, oh no, God would never let me suffer. Well, I'm sorry that God would withhold from you that good thing. But when God does it, it's always going to be better. And by the way, he chastises those he loves too. As a matter of fact, it says, if you're not chastised by God, you might want to check exactly who your dad is. So we get to chapter 2, and notice he focuses on consolation for a moment. But he goes, if, now remember how the idea is God does something, and if God does something, we should respond. And I know that that's been brought out specifically in the book of Ephesians and in Galatians, God's the, God's the initiator, we're the responder. What you're going to find is it's in everything. The more that you become aware of that, the more you realize, oh my goodness, this is never about us revving the engine and getting God to respond to it. It's about our responding to him. And I'm so thankful for that. But i got to be honest, there are two guys in this room that that's actually of a greater weight. Because we're married, and we're supposed to represent Christ. So we have to initiate the good things on our relationship. We can never like, well, when she comes around, well, then I'll grant forgiveness. I was like, we need to be initiators, because if we're going to represent Christ, that's the way we do it. But as Christians, we all need to do that. We initiate those things in regards to other people. But in regards to God, we're always the responder. So he says this, then, in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ or any comfort in love or not, if any comfort comfort in love, or any fellowship of the Spirit, or affection and if any affection and mercy
6: Then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Let nothing be
1: done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself
2: that each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others.
0: Okay, now stop. Let me ask you. Paul says, if Christ has given you any consolation, if love has given you any comfort, if the Holy Spirit has given you any fellowship and you've seen any affection or mercy, how should you respond to that? What's the appropriate response according to these verses?
3: The
0: Excellent. Be unified. Did you notice it's like God did all of this stuff to you, and if you're honest with yourself, He's done this to you, so you know what you should do and respond. You want to bless God? Bless His family. Now, you should know that by now, because some of you bless our kids. I think you all do in one manner or another. But you really want to bless the dad, bless his kids. You know that. And God's like, look at, you know, Paul here. But God's speaking to you. Paul, look at, if if you recognize these things, how do you think you should respond to it? And look at it, he goes, you want to see how that looks like practically? Stop doing anything that's for selfish ambition or to try to make yourself look good. But rather, in loneliness of mind. start looking at other people. Did you notice, by the way, he's like, Imagine if you tried to tell Paul, "We need more self-esteem." Look at verse three. What kind of esteem does Paul say we need? Esteem
4: other people.
0: Yeah, others' esteem. Should be looking at other people and making them more important than ourselves. And look at stop just looking out after your own interests. Notice the word only has been meant for the interest of others. So, now we have Christ's example. Because if that's the way you've been, respond. Now let me show you how Jesus did it. And by the way, what we'll see is everything's played in the absolute. Who was verse 5?
3: Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus.
4: Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God,
5: but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant and in the likeness of man,
0: being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross.
6: Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name,
1: that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in he- of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth.
2: And that every tongue
0: should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's our he goes no look at I want your mind to be the mind of Christ. Do you know what the mind of Christ looked like? It was completely equal with God there was no problem with that yet he humbled himself completely and he became obedient and not just obedient obedient to death and not just obedient to death obedient to death on the cross. Guess what the end result of that horrible thing was? He was exalted above everything. He goes, so, do you get the idea? Notice the purpose in the pain. He goes, even though Jesus did all of this, well, there's a total act of surrender, a total act of sacrifice. And yet, in all of that, he gets, an essence, as a result of that, a heralding of superiority. And he goes, now I want you to think about that. Because there's a day when Satan, because if he's got a knee, he's going to bow, and he's certainly got a mouth, he's going to confess Jesus is Lord. Everyone is. Every atheist is going to confess. No matter how smart they think they are, there's a day, you know what that means? One day, every person that's ever lived is going to agree with us. But for some, it will be in regret. I always say, beat the rush, do it now. I mean, that's the point. But I mean, so when you're looking at someone and they're being all nasty and blah, 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 I kind of look at them and thinking, man, there's a a day you're going to agree, but... You have no idea the benefit it would be if you did it now. Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.
6: For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose.
0: Okay, now stop. Hear this. Do you see? How this can be abused if you don't put the two verses together, you're aware it's one sentence, right? If we were a legalist group, it would be very easy to play out verse twelve. Work out your salvation. Now notice it doesn't say work out, work things out so you can get salvation. Literally, it means live it out, or literally act it out. Act out your salvation. With fear and trembling? For OTV means because. Because God is already working in you to give you a desire to do his good pleasure and the ability to do his good pleasure. And if he's given you that desire, act it out. You already have the desire to act out. You already have this desire inside of you to live out your faith. Now go live it out. You want to see what living it out looks like? Check this out, verse 14. Um, Do all things without
1: complaining and disputing. That
2: you might become blameless and harmless, Children of God without fault in the midst of corrupt and perverse generation, among whom you shine as light in the world,
3: holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not won in vain or laboured in vain.
4: Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, You also
5: be glad and rejoice with
0: me. Now, for Paul to say he's being poured out, it kind of looks like he thinks he's going to die here. Maybe not yet, but he knows it's inevitable. He's like, man, I see... Now, you are aware, the drink offering, by the way, was pouring alcohol in a flame. Do you know what happens when you pour alcohol in a flame? It burns brighter. Yeah, it burns brighter and it burns bigger. And you are already offering an offering. A drink offering never comes by itself. There's no place where a drink offering is offered where there isn't another. It is always in addition with, if you will, it's the side order to the main dish. A peace offering, a burnt offering, and you pour it over there because what you're saying is, I'm not only doing this willingly, it blesses me to do this. That's kind of the idea. A drink offering, in essence, is supposed to be to sweeten the offering. Now, as a guy, barbecued meat, that's about as sweet as it gets. And when you're pouring that on there, remember the whole idea of this. Remember how wine is supposed to symbolize? Do you remember what wine is supposed to symbolize from Scripture?
4: Sweet.
0: Yes, joy. The sweetness of joy. And the idea of this, it's a joy to do this. And this, and again, notice the point. It's like, And that's exactly what he brings it to with them. He says, I want you to know that this sacrifice that the life is that I have right now, it's actually only sweetening the sacrifice that's already out there in the body of Christ. I just get to be a part of it. And because of that, it's about joy. In other words, it's a joy to do this. So, you guys, why don't you joy with me in this? Notice it doesn't just say, you guys, be glad and rejoice. What does he tell us? Be glad and rejoice, what? What else? Like, what's the modifier to that? It doesn't just say, be glad and rejoice. Yes, with me. What does that tell you? Together. What condition is Paul in at this moment? Excellent. You can't do it with me if I'm not doing it. Be glad and rejoice with me. I'm being poured out like a sacrifice, but a drink offering, a sweet drink offering, so that God goes, Oh, that smells good. He goes, I know this brings the Father pleasure. And because I know this brings the Father pleasure, I rejoice in that. I'm glad in that. Hey, if this is what it takes, I'm in it. So if I'm rejoicing and being glad about this whole thing, and you guys are worrying about it, hey, you guys, why don't you just join me and rejoice and be glad about it? Again, I remind you, you're freaking out and you're worried because I'm suffering. Well, can I just say this? Rejoice with me. I see good in it. Does that make sense? Ah, good. So let's talk about a couple guys, by the way. We have two of them, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Who has verse 19? It's probably me then, yeah. Okay, but I trusted in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Can I remind you, when Paul went there to plant the church in the first place, Timothy was with him and he was just a kid. So this is someone they know. I mean, if you know someone that's, you know, from that young, you have even a deeper relationship if that makes sense because oh, I remember when you were a kid you know, that kind of thing well I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state
1: I have
6: no one else like him who would show genuine concern for your welfare
1: Well, all seek their own not the things which are Christ Jesus but you know his
6: proven
2: character a son with his father he served with me in the gospel
4: Therefore I hope to thank him at once as soon as it's been with me. But well, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall
0: also come shortly. Well I'm gonna if I'm not gonna die, I'll probably get released, and if I'm gonna get released, I'm gonna go see you guys.
5: Then I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered
0: to my needs. Well, but why would he say you are messenger? How do you think Paul learned about the condition of the Philippian church? Epaphroditus was the one who told him. So imagine Philippians sent Epaphroditus. Paul's checking on us. He wants to know how we're doing. Epaphroditus, go tell him. Hey, look. It, since you, since he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. <coughs>
6: Indeed, he was ill, and almost died, but God has mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon
1: sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again he may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful.
2: Receive him therefore in the Lord with of gladness, and hold such man in his because
1: for, the work
3: of, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what
0: was lacking in your service to all. So, no, so my guess is, this is a guess, but you can decide for yourself. We'll see it even more so in the next couple of chapters. Epaphroditus brought something more than just news. What do you think else he, he might have brought? Support. He might have brought... He, my guess, again, this is my guess... Probably Lydia's like, hey, the guy's going to probably need some support to send that boy up a care package. Because he said, this, look, at, it says, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now, we have something else to think of Epaphroditus for, not only that he let Paul know about this condition of the church and brought some support, if you will. But it's very likely that Epaphroditus brought this letter back. He went told him, Paul says, let me write something, take this back with you. So we could be thankful for Epaphroditus' care because he took care of it and made sure the letter got there. We could be reading it today. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, who are the two people listed, by the way, in chapter 2? Excellent. Timothy. And it's like, hey, Timothy, by the way, I just want you to know, I hope to send him. You know? And it's like, like, I still want to know how you're doing now. Now that I send this, I want to be able to have someone come back and tell me how you took this letter. So I'm going to send Tim for that. Because when there was Epaphroditus, you sent him, and by the way, he almost died on his way here. And it sounds like you guys knew about it. So you guys were freaked out about that. And he goes, I understand, because I love him too. And man, if he had died on the way, it would have hurt me. It would have been, as you said, sorrow upon sorrow. But God didn't do that. Instead, he got him here, and now I'm sending him back. So you guys, when you see him, we might say, give him a big hug. It's like receive him. Receive him in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Notice the first word.
3: Finally.
0: Yeah, even though we're halfway through the book. Okay, so go ahead. Verse 1. Is it me? I don't know, but it should be. Okay. You threw out the finally, you got it. Okay.
2: Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. But
3: for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil witches. Beware of the mutilation.
0: Who do you think is the mutilation?
3: Circumciser.
0: The circumcisers. They're, you know, they're flesh cutters. You know the biggest insult you could have told a Jew 2,000 years ago? To this day, by the way, it's still quite a bit of an insult. You call him a specific animal. Swine. Yeah, you know, actually there's one worse than swine. Even though swine is clearly... An unclean animal. A dog. well done. You know why? Because they don't view them the same way we do. Especially 2,000 years ago. Do you know what a dog was 2,000 years ago? Pardon me for saying. They were a vomit vacuum. You ate too much, you drank too much, and you barfed way too much. And you sent in the dogs to clean it up. That was what they were. They were your sick hoover. So imagine calling somebody that. They were about, I mean, that's about as unclean as you can get. So imagine when he says, Beware of dogs. And he's only like going to hang a sign out on his gate. He's talking, I mean, you can't insult a group worse than that that are Judaizers. By the way, for a Gentile to call him that, we'd be like, Oh, that's cute. He's like a puppy. You know? It <laughs> <You know? laughs> doesn't insult us the same way, by the way. But. Anyways, with that in mind. So he's like, look, beware of that. And that's exactly what he'll say in verse 3.
4: For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh.
5: Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so.
0: Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee.
5: As
6: for seal, persecution, and uh, church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless.
1: But what things were gained to me, these I have counted worse for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all
2: things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as
0: that I might gain Christ. Okay, now stop, even though I was stopping in mid sentence, I get that. What is Paul counting all as loss here? All
5: things.
0: All things clearly. But what has he listed prior to this? What's the context of that? What has he listed that he's clearly counting as loss? Excellent. Yeah, kind of like, if you will, the the elements of his CV that would make him a super Jew. I mean, if I can just put it as plainly as I can, there are certain things that, you know, it's like if we were going to say Jew of the year, and again, I'm not trying to be inconsiderate at all. You know my heart for the Jewish people and for Israel. But if you're going to be Jew of the year, this guy's got it. This guy's got it. And yet he counted it all for loss because it wasn't where he needed to go. But it was at a time before he knew the Lord. He knows where that got him. But he's like, you can't get more Jewish than First of all, circumcising the eighth day, which means I didn't even get my name for seven days. We did it as traditional as a Jewish family could. It's interesting because there's all kinds of medical things about circumcising the eighth day, but neither here nor there for this. He goes, first of all, let's start with that. So even before, I mean, I was raised super Jew before I had a chance to make a choice. And not only that, but it's like, look at the tribe I'm from was the first king, Benjamin. Interestingly enough, remember what the first king's name was? Saul, same as this guy. Funny as that is. He goes, and among all of the different religious parties or political parties, imagine if you were a super Brit. Where would you be born? Where would you be raised? What would your name be? You'd have to be named after a royal, wouldn't you? You know? I mean, imagine would it would be like raised in Windsor, you know, and close personal friends with Will and Kate. What's that? i you know, I mean, it's like in and of all of the political parties, I was the nationalist of nat- I mean, not like racist, but as far as I was, you know, I was super Brit was the idea. You know, I only listen to British music. I only ate bangers and mash and I only ate bubble and squeak, you know, and you can don't even talk to me about my attitude about Scots or, you know, or whatever. And. And I know all of the verses of God save the queen, and I can give you the list of every king and queen in the history, and how long they reigned and where they were. You know, I mean, imagine what would make you super Brit. Well, Paul goes, notice all of my things, by the way, pertain to this. He goes, any of those things, no matter what it was, I qualified. He goes, there was no way you could disqualify me as a Jew. Because what they were saying is, this guy's not even Jewish anymore. Look at him minister to the Gentiles. And he's like, exactly find any quality in any of these areas where I'm not Jewish. but not just Jewish, but as good of a Jew as you could be. He goes, but I count them all lost now. He goes, all that stuff doesn't mean anything anymore. And he uses a beautiful word, some of you already have heard this, and the word we have here for rubbish in verse 8 is the word skubala. And scuba means poop. That's what it means. Which puts a whole new meaning to Scooby-Doo. Anyways, but it's like he goes. I count it all poop. Is what I just want to count it. He goes all that stuff, and it's like you know. Let's face it. Here, poop is such a gross thing that when people walk their dogs, they just let them do it, and they don't even pick it up. I'm not better. Anyways, verse nine. Uh, oh, sorry,
3: <clears throat> I make it in Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God, by faith.
4: That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. If by any means,
5: I may attain to the resurrection from the dead.
0: Notice he goes, you know why I want to leave all that behind? Because I want to be found in, verse 9, what does he say? I want to be found in him, Him. thank you and then it says in verse 10 that I may know him he goes all that stuff was the it and I'm leaving the it for the him that's the point verse 12 hey not that I've already attained did I say that clear enough not that I have already attained or am already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me
6: Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting, what is behind and staying toward what is ahead.
1: I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward fall of God in Christ Jesus.
2: Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if it is, if. if in anything you think
3: otherwise, God will reveal his you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already been let us walk by the same rule, Let
0: us be of the same mind. Stop. I do want to make a simple mention here. I don't want to assert so much that we lose it, but I want to make sure that you see how this is tethered in. The terms that he uses. First of all, there is this kooky thing called glorious sanctification. I don't know if you've heard of it. If you haven't, praise the Lord. But basically what it says is that you get to this point where you never sin again on earth. Well, if that's the case, then Paul was a loser because he hadn't yet. But it's like, and what scripture says is God continues the work of setting us apart for the rest of our life here until we stand before him and then we'll never have to deal with it again. But the terms that are used here for uh, reaching forward for the things that are ahead, pressing forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for the prize... These are all military terms. The idea of it is, I strategize forward. The group that goes to sort of take the beach front is the idea of pressing forward. They're all military terms. And I remind you, who is Paul writing to? Where is Paul writing? But to a military garrison. Even if it was still predominantly feminine, which there's definitely hints of, one thing for sure, they still live in a military town. And because they live in a military town, he's like, you know what it's like? He's like, you know what my life is like? It's like, I leave what has already been been handled, and I want to go and take more ground. I'm sending out the next group to the beachfront, and I'm reaching and I'm planning and I'm stepping forward and it's like my life says, let's go forward, let's not just hold our ground, let's move forward. And that's the terms he's using are military terms. So, okay. Now, verse 17. Is that me?
4: Brethren, join in following my example. And note those <laughs> who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many
5: walk of my have towards you often, and now they live and weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ.
0: Whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things.
6: But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly awaited
1: a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even
0: to subdue all things to himself now this is also by the way notice here he says because our citizenship is in heaven he goes, but here's what he what he says is there's another group of people and he goes I've even told you this crying they are not citizens of heaven and the bigger part is not that the bigger part is they have no interest in being. Now, we deal with that here. And this is the great immigration debate. When you do not have a dedicated culture, you tend to be simply focusing on tolerance. And what that means is anyone just come in and be whoever you are. And people do not assimilate into your culture. Instead, what they do is often they tend to hijack it. They tend to bring it into their culture. And they try to say, well, this is what it should be. We should have Sharia law here, for instance. But let me tell you one place that was never going to fly. Philippi. You do not take a place where a bunch of old soldiers are and try to tell them that their culture is dumb and instead the culture you're bringing in is different. There, they would be tortured alive at the cheering of most of the general congregants of the area. That would make sense, wouldn't it? What Paul says is, you know what's interesting? We're citizens of heaven. They're not. But because they have no interest in being citizens of heaven, they they are offended. Even if they were to come into your home, they would be offended if there was a standard that didn't permit them to be whoever they wanted to be. And there's the scary part. But Paul goes, you know, here's the good news. I am so hungry to see our Savior. Because when it happens, he's going to transform me. And man, when I transforms me, he says, and this is the one who's going to subdue. Basically, when this king shows up, it doesn't matter what culture you're coming to, he's still going to be the king. But he's going to transform even my body into a glorious one. I'm so ready for that. Ready for chapter 4? Therefore, because Jesus is able to subdue all things unto himself, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brothers, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved.
6: I played with Idian and I played with <laughs> that
0: Isn't that a great name? Yeah. Sinchi? <laughs>
6: um, yeah. <Da>, bless you. <laughs> to be of the same mind in the Lord.
0: What does that mean? What's going on with them?
6: They
0: have Girls are arguing. Yep. Go ahead. Donna, first
1: and I seat. urge you also, through companion, that these women who labored with me in the gospel, with clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life.
2: Rejoice in the Lord
4: always.
3: Again, I would say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand.
4: Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that your requests be made known to God.
5: In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, right. regard your hurts and mind through Christ Jesus.
0: In the verb context, in 6 and 7, it's like, look, it, there's no... You can stop being anxious. You can s- stop stressing about everything. Don't stress about anything anymore. Here's the problem. If I were to say, stop stressing or don't stress, you know what you're going to do? You're going to stress over stressing. (laughs) So remember, God is not a God of nots. He's a God of instead-ofs. And God now tells us, here's the thing you do instead. Pray. Ask God to supply. Thank Him. And let your request be made known. Boy, if those four things were actually part of your life, you know, we've often said, overthinking is under-praying. And stressing is a clear result of it. God's peace, and I love the fact that it says it surpasses your understanding. Do you know what that All understanding. you know what that means? Is that God's peace can actually come over you even if you can't figure it out. You ever have someone just act wonky on you or some situations like, I, I just really can't get my head wrapped around this. And you think, if I can get my head wrapped around this, I can get peace. God's like, no, I can give you peace even if you can't figure out any of it. Now I remind you, Can you see why this is in this letter? Be anxious for nothing. Many people, by the way, memorize 6 and 7, and then they memorize 8 and 9. Because these are fundamental verses about areas of our life, about stressing and not worrying. And so we kind of go, okay, but the context I remind you was people that think that someone they very much love is about to get executed, so they're really freaking out. And he's like, look, at you guys, there's no reason to be freaked out anymore about that. So finally, brothers, finally, wait a minute, didn't he already say that one Whatever things are, is it, is it my verse? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, finally brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things.
6: Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you.
1: And I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lack opportunity.
2: Not that I speak in regard to me, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content.
3: I know how to be faced, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need.
4: And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress.
0: What does that mean you've done well that you shared in my distress? You, did what you to do. I think he's honoring them for their concern for him. But you know, it's like, hey, look, and I'm not saying that you being concerned about me is a bad thing. I think it's a really, you did well. I mean, it speaks volumes to me that you feel that way. So in other words, what he's saying is, look, at, I, we can stop being anxious now, please. We can stop freaking out. But I'm not rebuking you. I think it's really sweet. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you are concerned. I'm not rebuking you. But I'm telling you that God has a peace to offer you. So let's not worry anymore, Okay. Do you hear the difference? I mean, and again, I see—I really see a very gentle tone in Paul, the way that Paul is saying these things. I mean, the only time that I've seen in all of this that he's kind of said anything harsh was when he talked about the circumcision I and mean, calling them the mutilation in dogs. But it's like, he looks at you and it's like, it's kind of like he kind of gets harsh for a moment, tells that dog to sit down and he's like, now, let's talk again, and he drops his voice again. Okay. So you did well and you shared in my distress. Who has verse 15? Oh, cool. Well, now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only.
6: For even when I was in um, Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need.
1: Not that I take the gift, but I seek the truth that abounds to your account.
0: First 18.
1: Indeed I have all
2: and above. I'm full having received from a the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice one pleasing to God.
0: Did you notice it seems like a Pathfinder did drop off more than the information but a gift as well. Can you see that mm-hmm.
3: there? My thoughts just point all or lead.
0: Okay, before we get to his first amen, by the way, um, please never quote half that verse. People love to quote half that verse. And my God shall supply all your need. According to whose riches? And those riches are in what? What? and glory by Christ Jesus God's got riches to give but they're going to glorify Christ Jesus now it does not say as people want to misinterpret it my God shall supply all my wants and one thing that's really sad is how we are so privileged we don't even actually know what we need versus what we want Do you need your iPhone? Do we need our laptops? Well, they're certainly convenient. Do you need your Oyster card? You want to ride the train? It does come in handy. But I know people here that sometimes walk distances other people wouldn't even imagine. God will supply our needs, but it's according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And you know what's so great? Paul's like, I remind you, again, the whole, remember the whole message is, in the simplest sense, I know that I'm in prison, it's, it's okay, it's a good thing, stop freaking out, rejoice with, with me. Rejoice with me, because I'm rejoicing over this whole thing. And by the way, I've learned to be content no matter where I am. Because no matter what it is, I can do it. Through Christ Jesus. He's my strength anyway. So, verse 20.
4: Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus.
5: The brethren who are with me greet you.
0: And I love this verse. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are in Caesar's household. Wait a minute. Who was in Caesar's household? Saints. Saints! Did you get that? Remember how he started this by going, I just want to remember, stop freaking out about being me and being in prison because there have been benefits. One of them is that it's become known to the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. And he goes, By the way, some of those
3: guys are Christians now. <laughs> and at
0: the end of it, he goes, I just can't handle it anymore. And hey, they say hi. They're like, Hey, brother. He goes, This would not have happened had I not gone arrested. No, I'm not telling you go get arrested. I'm telling you that Paul seeing the bright side of it. Last verse. The
6: grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
0: Amen. I'll be with you all. Yes. Amen. Now, we've read through the entire book, and we were like, we wanted to finish basically at 8.30. Look at the time. Now. Your you're thing is fast. Um, I want to pray for us but look it we're to do all things without grumbling or complaining he tells us and you know who was a really good example of that? Paul in this letter did he complain about one thing in this letter? do you have any idea how he was beat? what's still lingering? isn't that amazing? And if our brother Paul could experience all of that and then say, guys, stop freaking out. It's cool. We're good. How about us? Could you imagine if we could just say to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's all good. Four specific letters Paul writes while he's in prison there. And one of the things you realize is, you know, that... Books have to be, there are things that need to be done and God disables situations so that they can get done. It's like Paul did not, I mean, Paul could have thrown a pity parter and we would have been missing some of our favorite books in all of Scripture. Because these are books that are written because Paul was in prison. So he couldn't go out and evangelize everywhere. He was still evangelizing because he would be chained to prisoners, and or prisoners, he was chained to guards. And he's like, well, since you guys aren't going anywhere, let me tell you a story. I mean, there's the beauty in it. But it's like, I kind of get the idea here that Paul is not a pessimist. (laughs) at least as far as this letter is. And I really, I think this is the opposite of 2 Corinthians in regards to the way that he sees them see him, if that makes sense. 2 Corinthians is like, who do you think you are? And here it's like, Paul, we just love you and we hate to see you go. So he's tender here. He's like, you guys, I, I love you guys. This is beautiful. And I'm, and look, at, it's a good thing that you guys felt like this. I'm not rebuking you. But there's no reason to really freak out. There's no reason for it. And that's just what I want to pray for us. We've had, and he goes, buddy, he goes, you know, the term he uses, he's like, hey, I, I recognize that. He goes, you shared in that with me. Because hey, I went through some rough times in this. It seems like Paul's gone through it, but he's come out on the other side. Because the way that he said it, he didn't say you shared just in concern. He's like you shared in my disparency in it. You know, he's like oh, man, I was despairing, and you shared with that with me. Because but I'm on the other side of that now. I I'm really thankful that he wrote Philippians now and not then. You know, and look at and you go through those times but you come out the other side of it again and you're like "All right, you guys now let's see the benefit that God's going to do in this so let's pray Lord I want to thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in this room and we do come to you Lord and we are so thankful for the way Lord you have used this text to minister to us and how much we love this text Lord how it means so much to us as we see the uh, as we see the attitude of a person who can say to live is Christ and to die is gain and because we can see that, because we can see that, we can be challenged to do so like with obviously infinitely less challenge in our own lives. And so Lord may we walk and be able to say, We are citizens of heaven, and therefore to live is Christ and to die is gain. And
3: may we so live, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.